You are listening to Pangea Cast, the digital voice of Pangea Church in Seattle, Washington. We are a church that follows in the way of Jesus to inspire others in the way of love. Visit us in person on Sundays or online at seattlepangea.com. I'm going to invite us to step into another part of our series, I Pray. And if you've been here for the last couple, you, you know that we've been really exploring this idea of prayer within the context of community. And each week we've actually highlighted that the title of this is not I pray on my own, right? It's I pray within this thing called the church. I pray within this community. And, and we've tried to really emphasize that no person is a... Um, uh, what am I trying to say here? that persons exist and thrive when they're in community. Does that make sense? Like, persons exist and thrive when they're in community. We actually had a group of us uh, together yesterday for most of the day, and we just processed this concept and, and what it's meant for our church and what does it mean to be a community together. And, and some of those things um, really mean, like, sacrifice was a word that came up at times. Um, busyness. How many of you want to be connected to other people but feel like your schedule and your lifestyle or, or the forces around you actually drain the energy that you want to invest into real relationships? And so, so when we talk about community, um, we recognize the, the joy and the ideals, but we also recognize the challenges. And so when we talk about prayer, prayer is one of those communal aspects that we both do on our own, but it's always for the sake of infusing life into our community, infusing life into this gathering of people we call church. And so, so I pray is about how can I connect with God and benefit others in the process. And some of that happens like it will today, to gather, and some of that happens in other ways. But if you've ever been in church, you've probably, and here you are, right? So if you've ever been in church for a long time, you probably have run up against some challenges when it comes to prayer. One of the greatest challenges, I think, is this idea of God's will. Anyone ever just like spent years and hours or moments of your life where you're just like, I just need to know what God's will is for this thing? If you're a follower of Jesus and you grew up in Christianity, it is highly possible, it is highly possible that you had a, a season of your life that was stressful, that you didn't know what the next thing was, and all you knew to pray was, God, I want your will. That, my friends, is a prayer that's a mixed bag. Because what we have often assumed is God's will is this one narrow, fixed opportunity that if I step away from it just like one inch, I've ruined God's will. I, I grew up in this scenario, right? Like, like oh man, I, I, do you think this is God's will for your life, Kurt? I'm like, I, I, I didn't want baloney. Is that okay? You know what I mean? Like, like, do you think this is God's will for you? It'd be these arbitrary things. And then so when the big things came up, it was like, oh my gosh, like every moment of every decision right now matters because if I do one decision that takes me off track, I might not even know it, but I've just missed God's will. That's chaos. That's no fun. I don't want to live that way. 
It's also interesting, like when we talk about prayer, today's focus, yeah, it's going to be about God's will, but when we talk about prayer, there's just like this, we just struggle with language even, right? So like, like God's will, like I want God's will, that's what I'm praying for. Like that's an example of language that we really don't know what we mean when we say we want God's will, right? There's other rhetoric and language we use that Really, if we were honest, we, we don't even know half the time what we're saying. And, and I don't think that's something we should feel bad about, but we should probably just own and name the fact that language in and of itself can be a challenge when we step into prayer. It's probably why Paul's like, yeah, sometimes I pray, you know, we got to pray with wordless groans, right? Like, like sometimes we don't even know what to pray for and just let it just be okay. But sometimes when we use certain kinds of phrases and certain kinds of words, there's this like backstory to all of that language that's informing the words. And sometimes I want to challenge those backstories and say, those backstories aren't that good. Those are bad stories. Like if you've lived in fear ever that a decision was going to derail your ability to connect with Jesus. Oh, man, that's that, that, it's, it's a problem. Like, what does it mean when someone comes to you and says, hey, I've heard you've been struggling, and I'm just praying for God's will? Like, what does that even mean? That, that I, I, I thought I knew what that meant for a long time, and then I realized I have no clue. And I, I, I still, like, I still am not sure I know what that means. But there's this little prayer in Matthew, and Jesus says we should pray for it. And, and so I want to read this prayer. We've been kind of anchoring ourselves in this prayer these last two uh, teachings, and, and I want to just step into it a little bit, and here Jesus is modeling prayer, so he's showing disciples how to pray. This is like, if you were here last several, right, this inception idea, like, this is like third level stuff, like, Jesus not only is someone we pray to, but Jesus is modeling prayer and praying at this point, and, and, and this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, check this out, our Father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name, bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven, give us the bread we need for today, Forgive us for the ways we've wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And so that's where I want to anchor this conversation this morning, is what in the world does it mean for God's will to be done? And what can we lean into as we sort of wrestle with that? So I've actually, uh, I've asked my buddy Ryan to um, just process this out loud. And Ryan has just been a dear friend. Ryan's the first non-moved-with-me friend that I met in Seattle. Um, and uh, he has a lot to say, I think, about this. And so, Ryan, come on up, dude. And um, one of the things that uh, I know about Ryan is that he's a funny person. I also know that he's a tender-hearted dude, and uh, prayer is one of his areas that uh, he continues to find life in in various ways and struggle with in other ways, and so, like all of us, hopefully. And uh, so, dude, I'm going to hear just a few things. Um, what, what do you find life-giving? Like, what, what is prayer, and why does that feel like it's something that brings life to you when you're 
tapped in it, tapped into God that way. I don't want to sound like a little cliched, but it's just when I'm in seasons of prayer or because like everybody, it's seasons. Yeah. I'm not uh, like I buy the Book of Common Prayer or a new book of liturgy every every now and then to kind of help me out or just spend time in the morning or in the afternoon or in moments of crises. Um, but uh, usually whenever I'm in times where I feel like a special connection with God, prayer is a part of that. And I don't know which is causality, you know, I don't know if what's correlation and which, what's causality. It's just because yeah. um, there's, there's times when it's just like a beautiful scenery and, and I have to mutter a, a prayer at that moment hmm. um, or uh, just times of seeking and, and looking for connection. But it, it tends to be that when connection is there, prayer is there and vice versa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think that's a word that a lot of folks that we that are in our community, you know, uh, resonate with connection. Um and so, like, as you think about connection, is there a moment you could share with us about a time when a prayer was unconnected or unanswered, right? Like, because like, I think a lot of us who have been, at least if you've been doing this Christian thing for a while, like, it's highly possible that you've prayed about something or towards something, and it's like, that didn't work, right? <laughs> and that, it, that's awful, um, and, and just a couple, I'm going to expand my question here. Or, or have you had a situation where you've had to submit your control over to God's loving care no matter the outcome? So either or, or both of those sort of kind of questions. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm human, and I'm trying to communicate with a creator. And so there are definitely situations where uh, I didn't get where prayer wasn't met in, in the way that I definitely intended it. Um, yeah. Oh man. And it's, it's, it's a struggle. Like when last, this last summer you had me speak on first John. Yeah. And in that section of first John, there was a verse like I deliberately avoided <laughs> because it it said like if we when we pray if we pray according to God's will we know that we, we receive what we ask for I didn't want to touch that yeah because yeah. how do you even know what God's will is and in part of that feels a little bit like God is like or John is saying hey if you ask God for something that he wanted to do anyhow then you probably are gonna get that <laughs> like, <laughs> what a ripoff it's loaded <laughs> it's very loaded yeah uh, but like my life right now, that's, that's where I'm at, is this, this journey of um, praying and maybe getting a, a step in a direction, but not at all how I want it to be. Like, yeah. I've been completing my master's in secondary education, and it's taken me about a year longer than it should have. Um, and it's not been because of I'm not one of those people who, who doesn't do the full program. Like, I've been diving in head first, but it's been, oh, we can't place you, or, um, oh, you can't use your own schoolwork uh, for another lesson. So so some, some circumstances that were beyond your control when you were, like, head first in it. Yeah. And you're like, 
and the, the whole weight of that yeah. the whole time like i'm i'm the guy who panics and like my dad and i communicate on facebook messenger so like anytime i'm anything goes slightly askew i'm like pray for me pray for me pray for me and i'm praying and and yet i'm still like that's the part of the thing is like in in it there's still like this sort of surrender. You're still like going through it and you're still trusting that on somehow this prayer is answered. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was No, that I, I think Ryan, I think what you're you're articulating is like real life. Right? Like like it, 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 sometimes it's tragedy, sometimes it's just annoying, right? Like the things that are heavy that mean a lot to us that are really struggles and wondering like yeah does prayer really make a difference here and it sounds to me like you think it does am i am i or what do you think yeah yeah i i kind of had i think a little bit of a, a breakthrough um yeah. on this at least in my thinking on this a while ago i was kind of reflecting on jesus and his prayer um at gethsemane like let this cup pass for me. Like yeah. he didn't, he didn't get what he prayed for, but at the same time he did. Right. Right. Because yeah. yeah, he had to endure the cross, but ultimately like the fate, I mean, that's what cup means is like your fate, your destiny. Mm -hmm. He was, he in, in the end received what he prayed for. Yeah. So it just didn't look like maybe what he had hoped. And that's yeah. what I'm going through. I, would have loved to be teaching my own history class right now, and so I'm teaching somebody else's right now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, it makes sense. It makes sense, man. Well, I, I appreciate you kind of sharing sharing that because I think I think real life is where this meets us. You know, um, maybe just in a minute or so here. What uh, like when you think of Pangea and our our sort of renewed prayer focus. Hey, God bless you. Yeah, please. Please, go ahead and please take one. Yeah. Enjoy. God bless you. Yeah. Oh, so so as we uh yeah. As we have a renewed, renewed. Uh, prayer emphasis. Yeah prayer emphasis. Um, I think it comes back to that idea of connection. Like we have always aspired to be a Jesus shaped community. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to relate more with Jesus, to be more connected to him. It's not information about Jesus that, that changes us. It's connection. We, we become like the people who we hang out with. That's just right. natural. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as a community, if we are together connecting with Jesus and relating with Jesus, that's who we're going to look like. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Thanks, man. My yeah, thanks for sharing. Seriously, it means a lot. Go like this. Thanks, dude. Yeah, so, so as, we, uh, as we continue, and Ryan, I mean, what I, what, I, what I enjoy about hearing people talk about this is, like, it's not, it's not abstract, right? We, we make prayer abstract, but then if it really, like, as followers of Jesus, when it hits our lives, there's, it's hitting things that aren't abstract. These are, like, real situations, right? Some that are just really challenging and others that are really life-giving. 
And um, throughout our day, though, as we've said, like prayer can, can be and probably is like all of life. Like how are we constantly learning more and more to connect with God through Jesus? And one of the areas that I think is a challenge is this idea of God's will and, and stepping into that. And I wanted to kind of transition us for a few moments here. Uh, maybe you've read any, some of the books by Henry Nouwen. Anyone? You know, does that name sound familiar? Yeah. So Henry Nouwen, a spiritual writer, uh, just yeah, amazing, amazing insights. And he has this very small book that I, re- I read years ago called uh, With Open Hands. And, and he tells a story, and I'm going to just summarize the story to help shape the back end of our conversation this morning in the scriptures. But he, he tells of a story of a woman he saw that was in a psychiatric ward. And this woman was just very, um, very wild with her mannerisms. She would swing her arms. She clearly had just a lot of um, psychological pain. And anytime someone would come into her room, she would get belligerent physically and would yell. And in her hand during this uh during these times a doctor found himself with no no choice but to like take away everything as you can imagine things become projectiles right in your room and so they have to like clear her room and they're clearing it and they're clearing it and and as they get done they notice that there's something in her hand and they're not really sure what's in there but there's something in there, and and they try to remove it. They try and pry her hand open, and the doctor actually says it this way. It was as though she would lose her very self along with, and it was a coin, the coin. If they deprived her of that last possession, she would have nothing more and be nothing more. That was her fear, and with all that she had, she clung onto that coin, and what Henry Nouwen does is say what, uh, what this looks like in, in the spiritual life is that often there, there's that one little piece of our lives that we just hold on to because we believe that if that were to be released, if that were to be pried out of our hands, we wouldn't know who we are. We wouldn't know our value. We wouldn't know what, wh- how to even navigate the world. Like that's our last bit of control, our last bit of like sense of self. And what I want to do this morning is I want to invite us to to ask the question that if we had our own coin, if we had our own sort of trinket in our hand, that people coming in would have to literally pry out of your hand, what would that be? What would that look like? Would it be your sense of self? Would it be your job? Would it be your um, accomplishments? Would it be your ability in this area or that area? Would it be a relationship? I mean, it can be a, a multitude of things. But it seems as though when we're talking about God's will, one of the things we're talking about is hands open. And I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't think Jesus liked it much either, to be honest with you. 
Jesus knew that that was the posture he would eventually have to take. But what we're going to find in the story, and it's a familiar story, Ryan already mentioned it, the story of Jesus in the garden, is that Jesus had to eventually fully release his hand as well. And so I'm going to read this story, and I want to invite us to just think about, like, our own lives, and, and what are those things that maybe we, uh, just, if we could release it, there'd be this new moment of fresh air in our lives. And the story goes like this, and perhaps you've heard it. Jesus left, and this is in, by the way, Luke 22. It says, Jesus left in verse 39 and made his way to the Mount of Olives, as was his custom. And the disciples followed him. When they arrived, he said to them, pray that you won't give in to temptation. By the way, I, I was thinking about this and what the temptation was. If you go up, like in the Bible, right, there's like headings. Yeah. So if you just go north a little bit in, in the stories, like there's a bunch of Little things, right? So like Jesus says, hey, do you have a couple of swords? And they're like, look at all these swords we got. And he goes, enough of this. Like, like, like they don't get it, right? There's a couple of points in the stories above where the disciples over and over again aren't quite getting it. And so one of the things that I think Jesus is noticing is, is that as they're together, like he doesn't want them to fall into the temptations of things like who's the greatest in this group, right? That's another thing that comes right before this. Who's got enough swords to defend themselves? As we'll see later in the narrative, Jesus heals the ear of someone because the disciples just don't quite get it. And so here we have Jesus saying, look, you are about to walk with me through something and there's going to be trial or temptation all over it. Pray so that you don't give in to those impulses. Verse 41 says this, he withdrew from them about a stone's throw knelt down and prayed. He said, Father, if it's your will, take this cup of suffering away from me. However, not my will, but yours be done. Then a heavenly angel appeared to him and strengthened him. I would love to spend an entire talk just on what the heck is going on there. We are not going to do that today. Um, verse 44. He was in anguish and prayed even more earnestly. His sweat became like drops of blood falling on the ground. When he got up from praying, he went over to the disciples. He found them asleep, overcome by grief. He said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so that you won't give in to temptation. This story has always fascinated me and always kind of just been heavy when I read it. I mean, I can't imagine, I can't imagine Jesus in such agony that his sweat starts to intermingle with blood. And I don't know the technical term for this, but there's actually a medical state that this can happen in under extreme duress. I can't imagine Jesus being overcome by grief. I can't imagine Jesus saying, like, I don't want to do this, but I'm willing to do this. But maybe you've been in that place in your life, like, where you knew, like, I don't want to move forward in this direction, but I know it is the thing that I'm invited to actually do in, in spite of my desire. That, that is when you're stepping into God's will. 
Stepping into God's will isn't some prefabricated plan that you're just going to magically sort of like get through, you know, as though life were a maze that you just had to sort of follow the maze and God is sort of a few paces ahead of you with a carrot and you're just kind of like sniffing, finding that carrot until you get to the end of the maze called heaven. Like, like that's, that's not God's will. God's will is step into this dynamic space of mystery, of unknowing, of suffering at times, of beauty at other times. Step into this space with me and be willing to do the hard thing when it's the right thing. Be willing to do the challenging thing when the outcome is not assured. I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> But what I find in this story that's really hopeful is because, like, the one model of, like, not my will, but your will be done in the New Testament is someone going to their execution. You know what I mean? So when someone says, hey, I'm praying for God's will in your life, you should ask them a follow-up question. So are you praying that I possibly go to my own execution? Right? Like, like really, like, 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 when we're talking about God's will, it is a severe event in the New Testament, a, dis- a disruptive event grievable event. Not because God somewhere out in the sky like Zeus wanting to throw a thunderbolt in your life so that you have to, you know, grow up or be a big kid or, you know, like, that's not how God sees you. But because there's all these forces that God is trying to non-coercively help people who have found this God navigate. And sometimes that means you... The forces are going to hit you head on, but I'm going to be with you anyway. You know, I, I absolutely, like, I found so much life as I was reading this passage this week. And one of them is very personal to me, and, uh, and I, I'm going to just throw it on the screen here. Anxiety. How many of you have had anxiety in your life? Anxiety is human. And what I love about this passage is Jesus gives us permission to embrace it. Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done, and then sweat blood. It wasn't, okay, I accept your will. I'm really happy now. It was, I accept your will, holy son of a blood, right? Like, I mean, that's the gravity of this passage. That's the gravity of the choice of stepping into this. And, and Jesus here models that you can be 100% human, 100% who God designed humanity to be, and because of the world you live in, because of the pain of this world, anxiety is a natural result. And it is not sinful, it is not bad, because if the king of the universe, the one we say did never, you know, never sinned, is holding anxiety in this moment, you have permission to hold anxiety, not as a source of shame, but as a reminder that you live in a world that is not bent towards you. It is bent against you. And that's why we want God's will. Because in the midst of those moments, there's a God who is still saying, but I'm for you. In the midst of crucifixion, there was a God who was saying, and I know Trinity, weird, right? And we're not going to figure that out, but there was a God who was saying, Jesus, I'm with you. 
And I have this suspicion. I mean, I think Jesus knew, like, yeah, I'm going to die right now. Like, Jesus thoroughly knew that. We get glimpses of that in various passages. But I don't know that he knew every detail about what was about to happen. It's a pretty traumatic sort of journey he takes from that garden all the way to his execution and death. There's no way that I think Jesus knew exactly everything. It's not as though, like, Jesus is getting hit or spit upon, and he's anticipating it, like, like, you know, in real time, sort of like slow motion. Jesus is experiencing the full wrath of that stuff. There's a lot of unknowing even in the path Jesus is about to take, even if he knows that the outcome will be death. And the path that you and I often have to take, have a, there's just unknowing all over it. Maybe right now you're in a season of absolute just unknowing about the next thing that you're supposed to step into, the next place, you know, within our Christian community here or within a relationship or within a life plan or within whatever you might be walking through. Like, there's just this fog. I grew up in central California where there is lots of fog. We hate the fog. This is not fog. This is clouds showing and saying hi. Uh, Fog is when you can't see the person in front of you. Fog is uh, very scary when it's real fog. Maybe that's how your life is felt. You're just kind of like, I can barely see what's in front of me. Or maybe a better metaphor is like those moments where in absolute darkness, there's no nightlights, there's nothing around you, and you're just feeling your way around. I remember having to go to the alley late at night when I was a teenager, and I'm like, I'm, I'm tough, I got this, right? But having to go to the alley to throw the trash away, but it was so dark that I would just like kind of go, open the lid, dump it, and I would just start running. I'm like 16 years old, like terrified, you know? Don't tell anybody. I'm, I'm tough. I've got muscles, you know. I'm an athlete. No, I ran. I ran like a crazy person. I, just, I was just done. Boris Gump in that. Because unknowing is disconcerting. It's disorienting. Feeling our way through the dark is hard. And then within all of this, right, there's the whole element of, like, desiring something other than what you know is about to happen, right? So, so like, there's an element of unknowing, but then you may know enough to know that you don't want the things that you know about. Maybe you're in a situation where there's a lot that you don't know, but there's something you do know, and the thing you do know is, like, the worst, and there's nothing you can do about it. And you're asking yourself, what's God's will for my life? That's totally understandable. It totally makes sense. And yet, for Jesus in this very dark, very challenging moment, he knew what he didn't want to do, and for some reason, he had this confidence come over his life that said, in spite of what I know that I don't want to do, that I'm being invited to do, I'm going to do it. Now, I don't think that, like, God's will is always predicated on doing the hard thing or suffering or bad things. What I think God's will ultimately is is that you know Jesus and live in community and reflect the kingdom. That's all. I, I, I think whatever that looks like in your life, I, I think that's ultimately what God's will is for your life. But in given circumstances, in given situations, sometimes it's just like, I know what the right thing is. I just don't like the right thing because the right thing hurts. 
I've got to confront this person in my life who has been narrating something to me about me that's not true. But if I step into that relationship and I actually confront them on it, I know it's going to be really hard. I'm really nervous. I don't like confrontation. But I know that if, if I'm going to become a more whole person, a more whole follower of Jesus, that my invitation is to take the risk of confrontation. Uh, that, that, my friends, th- that's not fun. You may know the right next step, and you may believe that God is for you in that next step, but you may not want to do that next step. And sometimes we just flounder with that sort of information about what we ought to do, and not out of judgment, like, I ought to do this because I have some religious obligation, but we just know that this is the thing that we're supposed to do. It's going to be the hard thing, so maybe we just won't do it for a while. We'll defer. And then we walk around, and we're like, I wish I knew what I was supposed to do. Oh. That's hard. I think the challenge that I face, and I think we see it in this passage, I think we see it in the woman who is holding on to that coin, is that releasing control is not intuitive to our humanity as we experience it at the moment. When I talk about releasing control, what I'm not doing is saying because God is in control of all the details. Sometimes free will is a little messier than that. Right? So like when I say release control, then someone will say because God is in control and it's all going to work out. Well, if God is in control and Jesus was executed, that, the odds don't seem that great to me. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that God is not active and involved and doing everything that God can to help humanity flourish. But if we attribute the release of control to give God control, like, first of all, that gives us a lot of power if we actually even think that way, right? Like, if I release control, now God can finally have control? That's a little arrogant. But on the other hand, if we say, I'm going to release control, now God really truly has control in some other kind of way, We're kind of saying, however this thing plays out really reveals God's character in this situation. And and that gets really messy, too. Releasing control is simply about saying, I'm not going to let whatever I'm holding on to define my path forward. And releasing control is saying, God, I need courage. I need endurance. I don't need a prescription to mask the issue. I need to release the issue. Every day we're confronted by this invitation to release control. And what I want to do right now is I want to, as we've done each week in this series, is I want to invite us into a practice, a practice of saying, okay, I'm releasing what I have. I'm releasing who I am. There's this thing, I didn't know about this until Andrew uh, brought it up uh, recently, called the welcoming prayer. I don't know if you've been exposed to this prayer, but this is kind of where I want to end our time today in in the scriptures and talk about prayer is, is this idea of just sort of welcoming what is rather than trying to pray through and manipulate you know, however we've got to, to feel like we have control. 
so that we can just make it another day. You know, there's this um, spiritual writer, Father Thomas Keating, and um, this is what he says about the welcoming prayer, and then I'm going to invite us into a practice of it. Welcoming prayer is a practice that actively lets go of thoughts and feelings that support the false self system. It embraces painful emotions experienced in the body. No, I didn't say Siri, sorry. (laughs) So weird. Do this one more time. It embraces painful emotions experienced in the body rather than avoiding them or trying to suppress them. It does not embrace the suffering as such, but the presence of the Holy Spirit in the particular pain, whether physical, emotional, or mental. Thus, it is full acceptance of the content of the present moment. I want to say that one more time. This is really important. It is the full acceptance of the content of the present moment. In giving the experience over to the Holy Spirit, the false self system is gradually undermined and thus the true self liberated. So I want to invite us to stand, if you would, stand with me. And I want to invite us to read this now. I realize some of us, this is a brand new thing to read. And so perhaps you're reading it right now more to inform you of what the prayer is. I don't assume that in saying these words, you're adopting it as much as hearing it for the first time. And then what we're going to do, actually, is we're going to have a video that sort of is uh, a contemplative exercise that sort of walks through this. And as the words come back on the screen, I invite you to just sit with it. What, what, What resonates? What is Jesus inviting you to feel? And then ultimately to say, okay, what am I holding that maybe I could release just a little today? So let's read this together. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me today because I know it's for my healing. I welcome all thoughts, feelings, emotions, persons, situations, and conditions. I let go of my desire for power and control. I let go of my desire for affection, esteem, approval, and pleasure. I let go of my desire for survival and security. I let go of my desire to change any situation, condition, person, or myself. I open to the love and presence of God and God's action within me. Amen.